Welcome to the 120th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, David Udoe, and we're recording on the Monday evening after the 3-1 home defeat to Aston Villa 48 hours before Arsenal faced Fenerbahce in Istanbul. Many of our regulars are either on holiday or otherwise committed, so we've brought a couple of our semi-regular guests that will make more than make up for the absence of the likes of the Highbury spy Mark Ollington and Don Sebastiano. Firstly, a regular contributor to Arsblog, Vital Arsenal, and occasionally the Gooner itself. His appearance this evening reminds us that we have to ask him if he can do a piece for the next issue on his trip to Istanbul to see the first leg on Wednesday. So, with that question hanging in the air, it's a very, very warm welcome back to Mr Tim Stillman. Good evening, and uh, the answer is yes, I'll be happy to. Wonderful. <laughs> Thumbs up from Cave, always a good thing. <laughs> next up, a man who's, t- who's taken a fair bit of stick in recent days for urging that fans needed to be patient in their expectation of new signings on Twitter and Arsenal Fan TV. He'll have the chance to explain all soon enough, but for now it's a hello once again to the Arsenal Supporters Trust board member, Mr Tim Payton. Hello. Finally, someone who nailed his colours fairly firmly to the Wenger out mast quite some time ago and has been living in purgatory ever since. Now people are starting to actually agree with him, and it's good evening to the editor of the Guna, Mr Kevin Witcher. Welcome to the dark side, all you recent converts out there. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Anakin Sky Udo, wonderful. So, uh, oh, if only there was anything to talk about. If only there was. Um, starting, starting to my left, Mr Payton, after your calls for patience over the summer and slightly thereafter, what actually happened to make the Sunday morning statement come out from the AST? Was the Villa game the straw breaking the camel's back? Gosh, where to start on that? Clearly, the patience ran out. <laughs> yeah. I think let's look at let's look at the summer in a, in a, in the context and also in an even wider context of the last couple of years, where the Arsenal Supporters Trust has been analysing and providing the explanation of Arsenal's financial strength, which finally was acknowledged by Arsenal in the build-up to this summer as there being a war chest. And I think I mean Tim might agree with this, both in public at meetings with the AST and fans and in private briefings, Ivan and the club assured us that there was big money to spend. Mm-hmm. I think the phrase, I can't remember if this was in public or private, was we'll be like Bayern Munich. We could buy big players. We are ready to go early. We know who we're going to buy. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the summer, the Arsenal Supporters Trust put in some quite strong challenge to the to the club about its governance structures and what its board should look like and how we've only got a five-person board including a distant owner mm-hmm. doesn't have characters like Fisman, Dean or Carr on it anymore and we wanted to see improvement but all the messaging from Arsenal was that it would come so um, when asked about this I gave some messaging about give Arsenal a bit of time don't get too agitated now we won't put a statement out we won't challenge on them you know had a bit of fun using the word patience tell them to wait and there were a couple of big bids in the period when we said they went big for, for Suarez I'm sure you'll ask me about the, the, the gigantic cock up on that question 27 know, as fans <laughs> as being inferred the influence that a big signing was coming also the influence of a big signing from Germany where they went big after both Lars um, Bender and Eike Gundogan and then even then went back to Germany because we kept being told that Arsenal was looking in, in, in Germany with the backup of Gustavo but it was Bender and Gundogan that he really wanted so reassurance was being pushed out sort of officially and unofficially and what seems to have happened yet again and I think part of the reason everyone is so furious now is Arsenal have got no goodwill left in the tank 
you can have as a club a bad transfer window. It looks like Manchester United aren't finding it easy. But when it's your fifth or sixth bad transfer window in a row, the goodwill has gone. I expect United, obviously they've got the Moyes issue, but if the transfer window doesn't go that great, they are champions, for goodness sake. You know, their fans have been given quite a lot recently. And I got the feeling at the weekend that it's a tipping point for Arsenal fans there is no patience there is oh well he'll spend it in January there is always oh, a great manager that's bringing people through but it's just that this club has become dysfunctional can't provide transfers and where the hell are we going and it, you know it's just too much deja vu it so looks like two years ago it's uncanny um, Mr Stillman anything to add? um no, well, I, I, I broadly agree with all that, and, and as someone who's probably just about reached the tipping point, and someone who's probably, I consider myself as having been patient for the last kind of four or five years or so, um, because all the time I kind of thought that there was a plan, and I, I and you know, I, I think we have made mistakes um, over the last kind of four or five years, and particularly in transfer windows, uh, not least two summers ago, um, but. I always felt there's a bit of mitigation and I always felt it was kind of building to this point like they were holding back and thinking well let's just cling on to the top four and then you know when the kind of when the scales tip a bit in our favour financially that's when we'll make our play and that's that's what I've been expecting for the last few years and now that point seems to have arrived and you know the, the club went fairly big on the messaging earlier in the summer and I think a lot of us were convinced, right, okay, this is when Arsene Wenger makes his play. He's kind of, you know, for better or worse, tidied us over for a few years. And, you know, I mean, why else did he want the new stadium if it wasn't to increase our financial kind of firepower? And now we've just reached this point. And for reasons I can't quite get my head round, we're in this kind of real stasis. And, and to be honest, I'm not even sure it matters that much why that is. Um, it's interesting to talk about, but mm. I mean the facts are speaking for themselves at the moment. We went into the Aston Villa game on Saturday. We finished it with Ramsey at centre half and Podolski <laughs> at left back. We started it with absolutely no viable alternative to Mikel Arteta, and we were just poorly prepared on the pitch. And whatever the reasons uh, for that are, um, that to me is just an undeniable fact. And you know it. It just makes me wonder. Arsene keeps coming out and kind of saying, "Yeah, but it's you know it's really difficult to buy players that are better than we've got," and blah blah blah. And I, I accept that. It, <laughs> I accept that it, it probably is. I couldn't do it. I couldn't close a deal for Luis Suarez. And, but you know, I'm not getting paid seven and a half million pounds a year, and it does make you think: Why are we paying that kind of? If if even if Wenger's right and it's literally impossible to do mm. that. Why do we need to pay him that sort of money? I think Kev can tell us something. He's about to have a fit otherwise. No, actually, I've actually got a question for Tim. Um, <coughs> which, uh, Tim, which Tim? Tim Payton. Um, on Arsenal Fan TV, the away shirt opening, um, you said that uh, Higuain would be coming for sure. No, 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 I didn't. I said that looked like the likely transfer, but if oh. you go back and listen, I said that Arsenal was getting very interested in Suarez. And Suarez was coming into play and well, watched this play on Suarez. I thought that the Higuain deal was very advanced and the, and the messaging was coming out on that and they were talking to him. But if you go and listen to it, I actually say then that Suarez is coming into view and they swerved into the Suarez deal. No, you, you didn't say Suarez in fairness. You said a big, big player, like a surprise. But separate to Suarez, yeah. Right, well, who was that? Gundogan. So Gundogan was a surprise? Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, 
Aside from that, um, I mean, the reason we, we failed, presumably, to sign players is because we come in with insulting low bids. Um, I don't think it's that difficult to buy players if you pay the right price. Mm-hmm. You know, if you pay enough money, you can buy anybody. Now, OK, we haven't got the money to buy Lionel Messi. We haven't got the money to buy Cristiano Ronaldo. But we've certainly got the money to buy pretty much most other players on the planet if you accept that you've got to pay more than you want to. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody wants to pay more than they have to, but at the end of the day, if you want something, sometimes you've just got to stump up the cash. And the premium that you pay for being in the Champions League is that you are going to have to pay more for a player than a smaller club who are in for him if there's no competition. So it's not rocket science. Arson is deciding how much we're going to bid. And he's, he's, he's not... The irony of this is that he's now going to be paying over the odds for players he wasn't particularly fussed about in June. He'd have been better to pay over the odds in June for players we actually wanted. Mm. Uh, but now, every club knows we are desperate. We've got to spend money. And so we are going to be paying through the nose for players that whoever's left. Mm. Um, now, as far as I'm concerned, it's too late. Apparently, Fellaini, his clause where you could have got him for £23 million is gone. But, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, can so you imagine Fellaini playing on Saturday? Do you think, do you think Villa... Do you think for that first, uh, that first penalty, Agabon Lahore would have just run through? He'd have taken <laughs> him out. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you just, it's <coughs> quite obvious we're crying out for that sort of player. It's not, it's not difficult. Is it sadly the second time in three years, uh, sorry, the second time in two years this has happened with us missing a release clause and Juan Mata and Dick Law being Costa Rica? Another example of mm. incompetence, mm. frankly. I mean, given what these people are paid, it's absolutely shocking. I mean, you know, I know, I know we'll probably, you know, I know Chris Hudson on Arsenal Fan TV, he had a pop at Tim, which was unjustified because the trust have been critical. It, it's just the thing about Tim this summer is the patience thing. Obviously, Tim was misled, um, down, sold down the garden path by the club, you know, and he's got the flack for that. Mm. All right. However, the one thing that, that came, to, came to me from that was the passion, the, the genuine... The guy cares. And this is the thing about people who say, piss off and support Spurs if you're criticising the current regime. In fact, it's the people who are criticising the regime that care more mm. because they can see what's happening. They can see what's happening to our football club. It's not a football club anymore. The priorities are not winning trophies. The priorities are making money, and the board are still perfectly happy because the stadium is selling out. It doesn't matter if you're mm. screaming your head off at the manager. You've paid for that seat. Uh, that, that, that protest isn't showing on the balance sheet. The one, the one salvation this current situation has got is there is a groundswell, and, and it is actually quite negative PR. And that... That's something the club don't actually enjoy. And that's something which is certainly going to force them to spend money. There's no issue there. Mm. But ultimately, my fantasy is that it's big enough for them to actually say, maybe we've got something wrong with the way things are handled with this manager. Mm. Maybe actually it's time for a change. 
I, I mean, I hope to God they don't offer him a renewal. I really do, but I fear they're going to. Well, to be frank, I'm really, really quite scared that he may not have already signed the deal and he just wants to get the transfer window out of the way before it's announced publicly. I really, really hope that I'm wrong. Any, anyhow, Kev's pointed out an, an awful lot of bad things about the club's current policy. Going back around the table to you, Mr Payton, um, one of the points that, that Kevin also raised was that, look, we can, we can do what we did on Saturday. There'll be 60,000 of us singing, spend some fucking money, spend some fucking money. Everyone booing as soon as the final whistle goes. Um, but notwithstanding that kind of protest, can a fan pressure group uh, generally make a difference to our club's policies? I think it, people come on to me and say you can't make any difference as the AST and in momentous difference you probably can't. I mean what does make a difference is empty seats or baying from all so four sides of the ground. When it gets so bad it's far bigger than what any group or movement can do. What supporter groups and certainly what I hope the AST does is almost be help people inform judgment mm -hmm. and come to their views, so scrutinise the accounts and tell people what's really there, provide them with information about the club's reporting lines and structure, provide meetings and opportunities to hear more of what's going on so people form decision. And yes, create a voice, and one of the things the Arsenal Supporters Trust has been around a long time now, people know people like Nigel Phillips, Simon Hill, Glyn Taylor, who provide very good financial and legal analysis which gives us a platform in the media and gives us a voice and the opportunity to speak because I think we've been consistent, informed, mm -hmm. our, our information has been right. But we're only ever going to be a, a, a catalyst and a, and a, and a conduit to, to, to process. At the end of the day, clubs change their managers because they're not winning enough games and that leads to discord from the fan base. And that's it's been a hundred years in English football showing that. And people have said to me, it's not like Arsenal fans. We One of our wise AST board members, Geoffrey Freeman, cut his teeth on the protests against Billy Wright. We got down to, was it 4,000 at a home game? Mm. Them? So the fans voted then. Other, others can remember the Terry Neal protests. Mm. Darren, Darren Epstein's been telling me a lot about those in the Arsenal Action Group. But sort of protest comes out of shocking performances. Yeah. And then, in a way, supporter groups get, get trampled almost in the rush. So, I mean, I'm sure Tim Stillman will have, will, have, will have seen this. I've probably been on a, you know, I'm certainly not in the Kev category category in recent years but I've not been that far away I've certainly been a challenger and a critic and not happy mm -hmm. and I've, on the whole the criticism I've had is being too harsh and in the last 48 hours everyone's trampled all over the top of me <laughs> to be far more harsh and that, that Tim Payton is a stooge and how much does the club pay him and, and there he's at and I feel like I've kept a fairly consistent position everyone's moved from here to, to, to over to, you know to over there mm. No, no, absolutely. I mean, let's say, God forbid, after the 3-1 defeat on Saturday, we go out to Turkey, um, God knows what our team's going to be and who's going to be in the defence. Isaac Hayden is said to be crapping himself. Um, but, um, you know, God forbid, we lose 3-0 tomorrow night, uh, we manage to scramble a one-all draw against Fulham and then go out at home and get booed off in front of 6,000 people as Fenerbahce beat us at home. Well, we've got two huge games, haven't we? We've yeah. got qualifying for the Champions League because of the income stream and the prestige that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Tottenham at home. Yes. Yeah, every game's huge, but you know what I mean by that. Oh, and, yeah. And, and who knows? My instinct, I don't know, I think Tim's going out there, so he's going to be one of the mm. few, because it's, it's a, gr a great damnation on Arsenal. I think they're not providing any travel for people no, to them. get out there. That's a separate issue. But what is a club if it isn't about helping everyone club together and get somewhere? But I think that they'll 
they'll pull together, they'll throw everything emotionally, physically at the Champions League qualification, a bit like they did with Udinese, mm. and then they'll be so spent that when Tottenham come, it just terrifies me. But my prediction would be, I don't know what you think, Tim, we'll drag ourselves over the Champions League line, but God knows what state we'll leave ourselves like for the league games in doing that. I, I think that's true. Um, the only, <clears throat> the, the real hope is, though, that Tottenham also have a European qualifier in the immediate build-up, and I believe they're playing it two nights later mm. uh, than we are, so... I'm sure they won't expend as much emotional stress uh, on playing a Europa League qualifier against whoever it is they're playing. But they'll probably have a luxury of being able to field a second string team. There's, Look at their bench yesterday against Palace. There is that. Been hours. There is that. Um, but I, I think I think the Tottenham game really, really could be. If the tipping point hasn't already been reached, then that game is really that's going to be like a seesaw. Because if we win that, having come through Fenerbahce, then that just lifts. The air and makes it a little bit more pleasant. If the worst happens, then and we've lost against Fenerbahce and we we don't beat Tottenham, then it's it's just going to be uh, absolutely even more toxic than it already is. Um, I'll put the cards around the table. If that happens, um, surely Stan and his lackey Ivan they have to suck finger at that point, don't they? Or any point during the season, is that going to happen? It just can't happen. You've got to remember, Wenger is a de facto board member. He's on the board, as good as. Mm -hmm. He's also celebrated all around the stadium. You know, it's actually what needs... I think the only way he's going to go genuinely is a complete revolution whereby the board toppled. But this isn't politics. This isn't Egypt or, mm. you know, Iran or whatever. You know, we're not, we're not seeing Lenin's statue uh, being pushed over. Um, the, the, it's, he's actually made himself... Almost unsackable. Oh Christ! What what a title! Um, but then, the, but maybe he won't be sacked. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know about the wisdom of sack, sacking him in September. Anyway, it would entirely depend on if there was somebody out there who could come in. Um, but maybe his contract running down, which only has you know less than twelve months to go now. Mm -hmm. I think that would be more likely, not not necessarily saying it would be a racing certainty that they wouldn't offer him a new contract. Or that he wants one. Or that, because, yeah, because maybe what, he doesn't want the flank after that. I, I would agree with that. I think that while I think that the stubbornness in him would not see him go before a contract ended, mm. part of the, the, the way he's become obsessional about certain bits of behaviour, like developmental players, like not, not spending big money, I mean, the concept of the contract has become another one. So I think that he will see the contract out, but at the moment, he, I don't think he'll, he'll put himself through what the next few weeks and months could be like with an extension if it doesn't no. go well. But the stubbornness and the sense of pride will see him to the end of this contract. And maybe if you think that's what's coming, and certainly the, the AST position was don't, re, don't renew the contract at the moment unless things improve, mm -hmm. the running down of the contract, I'd have that shorter than evens now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's much more likely, much more likely. Whether it's because the club don't offer him one, I think, yeah. like you say, I think it's more likely that he'd just say, do you know what, I'm... And the know, club will be mighty relieved, but we don't have to face exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of taken out of their hands, and he might think, you know, I'm nearly 70 years old, I don't need, you know, 60,000 people 
booing it, me every week. It's a good summer for him as well because if he wants to stay in football but slow down a bit, the international jobs come up because of yeah, the, yeah. the the two year cycle after the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, he's probably you know you could see the FA snapping him up tomorrow to go into mm-hmm. St George's Park and be part of their developmental structures, just like France and most countries in the world. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think his skill set is probably more suited to working with an under twenty one team at international level, yeah. where actually money can't be a factor because you deal with what comes in mm. and you coach and nurture and develop this is a developmental manager in the age of a, of a Galactico mm. so we should take the fact that uh, on Friday Labrooks had him as 66 to 1 being the next Premier League manager to lose their job he's gone into 12 to 1 that's just a sheer coincidence is it and, and everyone that's from... just people putting bets on yeah. right yeah, I, know, I know it works I used to work there when I was at university no, I can't you know. read anything into that alright okay, okay I didn't know if an awful lot of money had gone on it and you know um, out of nowhere they stopped taking money on a, a certain transfer because you know it's gone from naught to in two seconds I was just wondering that's all I can't I don't know what the other two think the chances of even if it went wrong against Fenerbahce and Tottenham given this mantra he's had all his life about contracts I just don't see him walking out on one well he wouldn't walk out on one and the, the board wouldn't have the bollocks to sack him Having said that, if it was the St. Louis Rams, Cronky would would actually sack the head coach. That wasn't mid-season, was it? Um, oh no, yeah, I, know no never. Slightly, I know their seasons are so short, though. But yeah, in effect, you you know you don't. No, it never happens in the NFL. No, fair comment, fair comment. Oh, overall, before before we move into the transfer market talk with regards to players themselves, um, starting with you, Kev, and working to my left from there, your overall thoughts on the preparation for the season. Well, it was quite obviously exposed yeah. <laughs> uh, by, by Saturday. Uh, basically, we haven't got a squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, you know, we sold, uh, got rid of a lot of players we needed to. Twenty-seven was, players was very good, but that actually ties in with what has become a real cost-cutting philosophy at the club. Um, and it's you know, there's a, there's a cynical view that part of the reason we've left signing players so late is so we don't have to pay their wages for two months. I mean, I'm sorry, but actually, within the club, certainly outside of the playing budget side of things, they, uh, apparently the cost-cutting is pretty ruthless in terms of the staff and uh, their employment, terms and conditions, their contracts. Um, Arsenal look to shave off every single penny they can from expenditure. Now, that's partly... You know, you could you could see that maybe that that has actually crossed over to the playing mm. side if Gazidis has got mm. his hands on certain aspects of it, um, and I I'm tempted to think that he's the one who's really moved to get these players out because he's aware that they're just basically swallowing up money we don't have. Mm. Um, so yeah, okay, good good to get rid of Deadwood. Nice yeah, start. Sure. Well done. Okay. So who's going to replace them? Um, let's jump straight in there, shall we? Yaya Sanogo. Yaya Sanogo. But look. Arson says he's injury prone. We shouldn't expect too much. Absolutely. Wenger's programme notes on Sanogo says that his injury proneness is such that he will have to be rested at times, as we know he is injury prone, but is full of potential. He didn't use the words quality or skill at this particular time. Um, quickly, Yaya Sanogo, waste of time and money for anyone, uh, everyone. Mr Stillman. Um, I, I, I row back on saying that until I see a little bit more of him, to be quite honest, because we've signed injury-prone players in the past and it's come off. We took a gamble on Overmars, for example. Arteta. Ar- yes, mm-hmm. Arteta, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, had, he's had a couple of... And in a very big respect, we've been lucky to get 
this far without him kind of breaking down. Um, and for me, that's one of one of the, the the more kind of shocking things about this window. I understand why, say, Luis Suarez hasn't gone through yet. If mm. indeed it does go through, which I I tend to doubt now, actually. Um, I you know I understand that's a difficult signing politically, financially, everything else. But you know, signing a backup for Arteta, signing a fourth choice centre half. I mean. They they don't strike me as really really difficult signings for no. a club that's our level with people that are paid as much as they are um, our club. Um, but I mean, go, going back to Sonogo, I mean, I you know until until we see a bit more of him, I don't know. I th- I think those are what that's a worrying admission from the manager before he's even got started. Yeah. That you know a, a boy of twenty is going to have to be used sparingly. Um, I I find that very worrying. Um, but it, it might be a gamble that pays off as it probably did with say Mark Overmars mm-hmm. or it might be another Armory Bischoff or countless other kind of gambles that didn't work out it could um, be diabolical if you will <laughs> so you have to go back an awful long way to find a, a quote a gamble that mm. has this sort of Arsene Wenger signing that yeah. has paid off don't you yeah. now yeah. interesting Mark Overmars is a, is a long long time ago now to yes. him, yeah, you yeah. know to be cited and he was a proven international okay he'd had the bad injury that they mm, were starting to actually medical science with me and they were far more treating them mm-hmm. and bringing them back whereas I think 10 years earlier for Mark Overmars and that mm. was the end of your career wasn't it mm. um, but it's just it's like it's like football has left Arsene behind, which is sad because a lot of his values were good for the game. Mm-hmm. The concept of developing a player, signing a young player and knowing that on a five-year contract you had four or five years mm-hmm. that you could mould a team and change it. Now, post-Bosman, post the growth of the super clubs with the media income, mm-hmm. it's become much more about the manager, the, the impresario, the strong character, Mourinho is the classic, that just directs about 14 talented but spoiled millionaires and mm-hmm. manages for, for two or three years to get the most out of them until you're spent and you move on. Mm-hmm. That's not Arsenal's model, no. but unfortunately it's the way football's going. And Arsenal on his own is not going to turn the clock back, although it does appear that at the sure. moment he's, he's leading a one-man crusade to take us back 20 years. Definitely. Um, and it's not working. And with, with Ferguson gone as well, he is literally the, the kind of flamekeeper of that old style of management now. He's the only one left, mm. as it were. And that, that's, one of, um, that's one of the saddest things for me, I think, for someone who has been patient, I suppose, with the, with the manager, is that um, for someone who it, it, it pains me to kind of see this that that someone who was kind of hailed for his innovation when he first arrived that he's actually beginning to look a little bit like a relic um, at the moment which is which, which it saddens me because I haven't had any great anger towards him I'm I, you know probably more on the kind of been more on the patient side with him and I've not lost my rag with him yet so yeah. I'm probably just coming to terms with the fact that I think his time's coming to an end so I'm probably at a different stage um, of, of, of my kind of regards towards him. And I, and I just, I find it very sad, um, to be quite honest, at the mm. moment. It's, it's a bit painful. Kev, do you think it could be kind of, ha- 
as it was towards the last three months that, uh, of George Graham's reign, in the sense that it just becomes apparent he's taken it as far as he can. I mean, uh, in his last three months at the club, Wenger, uh, sorry, Graham panicked and bought Chris Kiwamia, John Hartson and Glenn Helder, purely because there were three players he found who were available. As of today, it's being, being rumoured that the players we want are Williams, uh, a 29-year-old centre-half who spent all of his career at Stockport and Swansea, Mishu, who no one in Spain's ever heard of until last year, and uh, Kabai, who Arsenal have apparently offered the fee that Newcastle paid for them, who essentially is he's, he's a, he's a direct copy of Arteta. Um, as Wenger just, you know, he's taking it as far as he can, he's losing the plot, uh, as far as that's concerned. Um... Well, did he ever have the plot uh, in recent years, is my point there. Mm -hmm. You can add the name Paul Pogba to that uh, list, uh, yeah. by the by, who I think would actually be um, slightly better in terms of stopping opposition coming through. Um, he's a bit closer to the era, um, and we do need a physical presence, but he's very young. But then again, Vieira was 20 when he came. Mm. Um it's, it is it is looking like a supermarket sweep, I guess. Um, the trolleys, I can hear the trolleys, basically, as we did in 2011, after the 8-2. It um, shouldn't have reached this stage. Um, in terms of... I mean, what was the question again? Sorry. Um, towards the end of his time... Uh, is it like George Graham? Yeah. The funny thing about George, you see... Uh, people not George, but... People say the football was dire, OK? But actually, the last three seasons of George two and a half seasons we won two cups in 93 we won the Cup Winners Cup in 94 we were on the way to the final of the Cup Winners Cup in 95 the one thing about George was on occasion when it mattered he could get a result with his players even if he'd lost them to an extent he still had enough in them to motivate those guys in the big games mm -hmm. the league was a distant dream he couldn't he couldn't I mean, he'd lost it on the level of producing a team to win the championship. But he, he could still, on the day, get a result when it mattered if there was something winnable at stake. Mm -hmm. that, that actually has disappeared from Arsenal. In fact, it's the very big games where we actually <laughs> completely don't turn up. Um, so I don't see a parallel there. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting thing there is George had lost the players, in all fairness. They'd become bored... Things have become stale. Now, I'm not sure that can be possible at Arsenal because there's been such a turnaround of players. Mm -hmm. You know, if you actually look at the squad probably three years ago, I, I wouldn't be sure, but maybe two-thirds of them are gone. You know, I mean, if you look at the first team starting 11, there's probably about 60, 65% who weren't there three years ago. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Arsenal necessarily the players have got bored by him but I think there might be an element now where players are different they're so rich you know they've got it made that it takes a bit more for them to respect a manager <coughs> mm -hmm. and that's where now trophies are being won where a manager as Tim said can basically handle millionaires and motivate them mm -hmm. now this is why I back in after the Bradford uh, no sorry the Blackburn FA Cup exit was saying get Mourinho the guys <laughs> finishing at Real Madrid this summer just get him because what these boys at Arsenal need is number one organisation you know mm. just, just basically some discipline in the team which you didn't see on Saturday no. and number two a kick up the arse now there's a couple of them who don't need it you know Ramsey's a great trier Wilshire's a great trier they'll give you effort but they need a bit of organising 
Mourinho style. You know, what, what actually pleased me about the run-in last season was we were seeing old-style Arsenal. What you don't do, you, you make sure you don't lose before you go and win. Yep. You, you just lay that foundation. In one fell swoop against Villa, that just completely went out the window because Arteta wasn't there and Ramsey and Wilshire just hadn't got the maturity to actually shield their defence. Mm. So you saw Agbon Lahore running through at will. So um, Arson is the wrong man to actually turn this thing around. We're now actually at rebuild stage. Mm-hmm. We need a new man to come in and just rebuild the team. It could happen quite quickly. If you got Jürg Heinkes tomorrow, by January you'd have, you'd have a team that would actually be able to start winning matches mm-hmm. that matter. But the longer we leave it, the longer the rebuild job is going to be. Okay, let, let, let's stick with rebuilding. Uh, Mr. Payton, uh, I'm going to give you £100 million to spend tomorrow. I'll um, back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, that's old school. We're moving on, aren't we? <laughs> um, which, which positions do you think we actually need to buy extra players for? Because everyone's saying spend some fucking money over mm-hmm. and over again in the ground. But um, I, I don't know, I think it's sad to say after 20 minutes we want a new goalkeeper as the Barnum brothers seem to want Chesney back. It's almost which position don't you need someone for? Oh, that's Certainly if you want to build. There, no, there, there, there are priority areas where you would catch up a goalkeeper it just goes without saying Mm -hmm. I believe this was on the agenda early spring but Arsene wobbled and thought that the the two Polish lads would still deliver it's back to the developmental you've stuck with them for so long it's like waiting for a bus it will come soon it will come (laughs) soon surely even he saw on Saturday so a a, a goalkeeper but going back to this tired coaching setup and the need for change no point bringing in another goalkeeper without improving a goalkeeping coach and allowing a goalkeeping coach to actually do goalkeeper coaching. Am I correct in saying that Jer- Jerry Payton was, uh, in, uh, he was ill for like three months and Tony Roberts had to coach the U team goalkeepers and the first team keepers? Oh, it's, it's, and he did the ladies' goalkeepers as well. Okay, right. <laughs> I would have stepped in for that. <laughs> and you hear, I mean, you hear across the game people saying that goalkeepers don't improve at Arsenal, mm-hmm. and, and and the problem. But even Bob Wilson will talk about he had to bring his goalkeepers in for extra coaching, mm-hmm. almost without telling Arsenal, didn't he? And back, you know, I, I was going to follow on with this point about sort of the, the old style manager to the new style manager. Arsenal is surely the only manager left still getting out there with a tracksuit and taking the coaching, not observing and joining in, but. Leading the coaching, yeah. and, you might, and it's just so old school to where the game has got to that you need bigger structures now. Specialist coaches working with each other. Yeah. The manager is more like Ferguson wasn't doing that. <coughs> Ferguson was wandering around at the edges and making the final call, and almost his job at the end was making sure the right coaches were in place. Yeah. But that's on goalkeeper. So yeah, would, would would sign the goalkeeper, a good quality goalkeeper, because our defenders don't trust that lad. No, it's not the fan don't trust him now. I think you need a right back because partly for the longer term as well because as good as Sanya is mm-hmm. coming to the end of the year and the injuries have started to catch up with him so you're building long term there and Cole Jenkinson is a trier but for me just because you sleep under an Arsenal duvet doesn't make you good enough to actually be able to play for Arsenal yeah. week in week right. out you've got to buy a central defender and I still think I, you know people get sentimental that the two did well at the end of last year I think that all good teams that win trophies have a great central defender and we don't have a great no, imposing world class central defender a Sol Campbell 
you know, a, a Rio Ferdinand at his best, a Tony Adams at his best, a company at his best. Look at what great teams have. So I'd have one in there. What I certainly wouldn't do is start the season with two of them. Oh, no, two of them because they're going to get yellow cards and red cards, let alone injuries, aren't yeah. they? And we've seen it already. Mm. And then the final one for me, well, it goes without saying, a striker, and and we, we may come on to it in a bit more detail. Luis Suarez was exactly what we needed. Exactly. The movement. He mm. knows how to do it in the Premier League, which in Iguan was a bit of a risk. He's also got a bit of that nastiness to him, which Arsenal need a bit more of. Yep. You, know, you go back to the Invincible and the early Wenger teams, and they could put an elbow out and, and, and sort of dive and spit and, mm-hmm. and, and, and some things that weren't that pleasant or that right. But they had steel and they had nastiness and Dennis hardness. Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, yes, exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, as several, there was attitude there, wasn't there? There was that slightly nastiness that we Man want, mercy. we want to win. There you go, um, all of them. And I think you know, Suarez had had that. Mm. Um, that was a tough call, um, but played very, very badly by Arsenal. Even if I think the right call was made. Yeah. But if they don't buy in that position now, they got incredibly lucky with Oliver Giroud's injury record last year although the guy played on empty in the final few games didn't he mm. clearly but we talked about him a few minutes ago if he goes down in terms of the squad it's just Sonogo expecting to, to carry the position it's just not well I'm not sure if I've spent £100 million yet with Tim's got any, <laughs> any gaps to fill in <laughs> have I left you any budget well I'd, I'd, I'd certainly add um, a creative player because I still think that Cazorla is the only one in that team who cuts defences open yep. I I think Thomas Rosicki five, six years ago without his injuries maybe is that player but I mean we just can't look, he, it looks like he's injured for Wednesday he, he summed day. himself up on Saturday didn't he? he he set up three really good chances then fell over and, the end yeah <laughs> yeah and you know I, I like but I, I, I really think we need to supplement in that area because we've got some good finishes in Walcott and Podolski but none of them really create a chance out of nothing and against the bigger sides I think that's where we really struggle because if you're an experienced quality side like Man U or Chelsea, you just say, well, the threat's going to come from Cazorla. Mm. So we just put two men on him and that's that's Arsenal done for. Um, but just just going back a bit to the, the way the, the, the targets seem to have evolved for this summer, should we say, when mm. we started off talking about Rooney and possibly Lars Bender and Suarez and now it's, you know, kind of the best of the mid-table yeah. uh, in the Premier League and I, I, I do wonder if that's just because Arsenal have tried perhaps all summer to bring in this big level of player that they believe will push them towards the title mm-hmm. um, and they've waited and waited this long and now they think that's probably not going to happen now so they're probably concentrating on well let's get the level of player that will consolidate us in the top four and you know go again next year mm. whether Arsene Wenger and the, the people behind the scenes are the people to make those kind of big transfers happen is very much up for debate but if I was to take a guess I'd say that that's what, where the club are at now they probably think right we're not going to get Suarez we're not going to get Rooney we're not going to get Lars Bender let's build this squad out give it you know a bit of fourth place quality but not necessarily first place quality mm. and let's try and just start your next year yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly we did this podcast this time yeah exactly and then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> you know perhaps revisit it next year and you know I, but I, I think that strategy wise that, no, that, that might be where the club are at the moment whether they should have arrived at this point earlier I, you know I don't know but we've we've given up three points effectively which if you're talking about challenging for the Premier League is, you, you, know, can only lose four. you can only lose four, Indeed. six at tops, and we've yeah. given up Absolutely. one, not playing any of the top 
three competitors. Exactly, exactly. So in terms of winning the Premier League, not that I'm think yeah. anyone really thought that that was that, that was possible. <laughs> but we were promised that in June. We exactly. were promised spending to be like Bayern Munich and a team that would be capable of winning the Premier Indeed. League. Indeed, and which Arsenal fan at the moment thought on Saturday, "Oh, that's three points, you know, out of the title race," and who thought <laughs> that's three points off of the race for fourth, and who thought that's three points off of the race for the Europa League? And Kev, you were thinking <laughs> uh, Man United lost their first game of last season, so it's okay, weren't you? It's not okay. <laughs> United were in a much better position uh, after that. Didn't oh, it? that was it. That was it. Um, additionally, it was away to Everton. So, uh, <laughs> apart from that, not, it was exactly the same. Not what you call a gimme. Um, well, look, I, 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 the num- numbers that's been going around the press is: Are we going to buy three players, four players, five players? Um, essentially, we, we appear to have settled on on five, and I think that's sensible. And if we've released twenty-seven, we only need to fill up about well less than twenty percent of that. Um, are there any five players in the world? Arson keeps saying there are no players out there to buy. All of us, my team, his mystery team of scouts, um, they watch all the games. You can imagine they've seen every player in the world. Are there any players that, that you want as an intelligent football watching man who with twenty? 21st century satellite television can watch football from any country in the world, which we can do nowadays. If only I had the time, but anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, certainly, I mean, Tottenham bought Soldado, okay, yeah. for 20, well, right 26. up to 26. I don't have actually paid that much, apparently, but they might do if he reaches certain targets. Hmm. Soldado uh, is an example of a player that um, would have improved Arsenal. I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer. He's done well for Valencia for at least two or three seasons. He started for Spain in the Confederations Cup. He didn't have a great one, so in the end Torres got in. But at the same time, it's between him and Torres for the front spot in the best international team in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, you take a slight risk, will he adapt to the Premier League, blah, blah, blah. But if you're going to pay uh, 23 for Higuain... You can say, okay, we can justify 25, 26 for Soldado. Mm-hmm. And given the choice, he would have come to Arsenal rather than Spurs. I'm pretty sure we'd probably pay him more wages anyway. Um, in terms of other players, I mean, I was reading to the, earlier on, um, someone put a, po- a piece online about Newcastle players we should sign, not Kabai, but <laughs> we could get Colaccini, Tim Krull and Teoti. And those three players would actually fill... Uh, certain of our yep. current positional problems and chances are you could probably get the three of them for a combined sum of something like 45 million quid um, I mean interesting to say Tim earlier saying we've switched our focus from big names to small names we could have got them both you know we we did have 100 million I know <coughs> I know the figure 70 million still have it <laughs> 70 Some, million it's somewhere it maybe we just play that maybe we pile the banknotes up in front of the goal we've got enough now that we could fill an entire goal we've got we've got the money to have actually bought very well I mean even someone like Wanayama as a squad player mm. certainly worth a look I mean Southampton broke our transfer record today buying the or yesterday I can't Pablo was and they they spent £36 million this year on three good players and then their win at the weekend they had three 18 year olds in the team I mean they're, they're, they're showing Arsenal how it's done I tell you what, what Southampton have got is a manager who can put a team out to get a result you've got mm. an, a manager who will do um, a formation and a way of playing which makes sure things are tight you know, they've got some bloody mm. good results last year 
once they got rid of Nigel Atkins and actually ended up being fairly comfortable by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And that's because the manager's an Argentinian defender. <laughs> you know, so basically, maybe we should start thinking about Nelson Vivas to come in and take over from Banks. I don't know. But it's interesting that they have that much faith mm. in their manager to keep them up that they are going to spend those kind of sums. You know, that's, that's significant to me. Mm. Now, you know, we've actually got a manager who doesn't believe in himself almost to spend those kind of sums because mm. he's worried he might get exposed as a failure if he spends 100 million quid and doesn't land a title. You know, you've got to, have, you've got to talk about belief all the time. I believe mm. in these players. Believe in yourself. Believe in your ability to actually spend a bit of money and get something back for it in terms of an increased number of points. Mm. You know, I mean, Fenger's a nutcase to me. I mean, I think there's serious psychological issues there. Mm. I mean, you know, I think the guy's on the edge of madness sometimes. And he's certainly done that to the supporters at the moment. I mean, I'll go back to Chris Hudson. The guy was actually cracking up. Yeah. That, that post match, he was feeling it, you know, and, and and that's that's what Wenger has done to this club, you know, and the board are equally culpable because they've allowed it to happen. They've allowed this power vacuum to to fill. The other thing which we, we're going to get onto is yeah. Lady Nina Bracenell Smith, who's been tweeting this weekend. Yeah, and not for the first time. <laughs> it's very interesting because to me that woman underpins the potential long-term future of Arsenal in the decisions she's made. Mm. Number one, wouldn't it have been interesting if back in 2007 she had accepted David Dean's attempted coup d'etat, gone in with Dean and Cronkey and overthrew the board? Then we would have had an interesting, an interesting scenario, Cronkey, Dean and Lady Nina as the power players at Arsenal. God only knows what that would have turned out like, but would it have been the same? Would Dean have allowed Cronky to dictate the way the club has gone? Decision two for Lady Nina was selling out to Cronky when Danny Fisman died. Mm-hmm. If she'd have sold to Ushmanov instead, we would have had a genuine power struggle, which could have gone anyway. Well, it may even have put the balance of power in the hands of small shareholders and AST and Fanshare because I think it would have taken them to roughly 45% each give or take a percentage mm. and then they'd have been clambering around for the votes to put in the majority now you might say that would have created the most unstable club in the history of football or you might have said that you could have had some kind of beauty parade about what you're actually going to do for the team and how you're going to improve it but yes Lady Nina's quite a had, had quite pivotal. a p- pivotal role and when she turned down perhaps this is why she's really bitter when she drinks her gin to go with her bitter and sends her tweets late at night is that she accepted 11,750 from Stan Kroenke and turned down 14,000 the same night from Usmanov because of kind of family pressure and emotional pressure about the right thing to do was to sell to Stan Kroenke because it kept David Dean out Indeed. And the the question I've got for Tim is, in the early days of Cronkey's involvement with Arsenal, before he was actually um, invited onto the board, Tim met the guy, I don't know, three or four times? Yeah, yeah, over a couple of years. What was your impression of the man (coughs) at that stage in terms of his potential benefit to the club? He was... Certainly more engaging than now. He clearly didn't understand English football. 
Yeah, I used to look up a fact or two about the Nuggets yeah. because he would come alive and if I mentioned their best player and what was happening there it would probably be a bit like you know, an American coming over here and asking yeah. me, you know, how Cazorla was getting on as a new signing. It would bring me to life. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. But he gave the right messaging. It, this was a, you know, he'd identified Arsenal Football Club. It had this great new stadium. Mm-hmm. It had a good infrastructure in place. Remember, I mean, I can't remember when, I know you were one of the first to turn, Kev, but this was back in a time where a, a common view was, just don't do anything and let Arsene Wenger run everything and it will be all right. Mm-hmm. How things change back then. It was clearly someone that had bought Arsenal Football Club to make money as an investment, the hope was, I think, that he, in doing that, he would run it to its values and run it well because you make more money than if you don't. Um, what has disappointed me is the increased disengagement. I thought we didn't see much of him then, but clearly he was trying quite hard because he was trying to ingratiate with the board, he was trying to ingratiate with the fans a bit. I thought we'd still see Stan three or four times a year, that there'd be a bit of dialogue. He had a very good chief executive called Paul Andrews, who you could work with and talk to. He went to run some rodeo show <laughs> in Denver um, and has never been replaced, really. But it's been a, the silent Stan thing didn't come across quite so much. That once he's got the club, he's not interested. When you talk to the employees at Arsenal and their degree, he's not walked high, around Highbury House once to meet the key staff. He's not, apart from the showpiece photo opportunity, he's not been up to the training ground. Right. He hasn't, I think he went to Chelsea. He's not been to an away game other than that. I, I happen to know through work connections a couple of directors of Everton, and they say it's almost tragic to see a great club like Arsenal arrive at their ground mm. and have one director who's an employee turn up. That wasn't like Arsenal used to be. That yeah. wasn't a sense of the club. But to answer your question, it's, it's turned out more disappointing um, we must also remember, and I don't want to divert necessarily this mm. podcast away, but you know, it, Danny Fisman, who you could say made the decision, not maybe Nina, obviously, and made it on his deathbed. And I think, you know, so tragic, he did put everything into building that stadium. And I'm conv- convinced that if he hadn't had the cancer, he'd have stayed around and tried to manage this club and tried to balance these people who have bought in but kept the balance of power, kept the custodianship mm-hmm. and I don't believe he'd have let Arsene get like this. I think he'd have helped him more and he'd have seen what was going on sure. but Danny Fisman wasn't given a great choice at the end. Mm-hmm. It was a choice of Stan Kroenke or Alicia Usmanov. You know, it was, realistically we set up fanshare 25 years too late. We didn't have the wherewithal to get there. We must always remember some of the choices that, that were being made. But the absentee owner is probably the most dangerous of all for a football club. We all know, to a certain extent, you've got to be on site. How can you really know what's going on at Arsenal if you weren't in that stadium, but also the extra insight they get, being in the dressing room, being around the club? David Dean knew when George had sorted lodged the dressing room. He knew that um, Rioch never really got the dressing room. How can Stan Kroenke know that? I know Tim, and I think he's partly right here, but that's handed on to Ivan Gazidis to do. Mm. But Ivan Gazidis is, is beholden. I like Ivan, I think he does good work, but he's beholden to £2.25 million pounds a year. Yeah. So how much does he actually, you know, he might well think that the time to move Arsene Wenger on is right by what he sees, but sure. he knows that Stan Kroenke has got this view that Arsene Wenger is this great coach. Does he dare say that? Mm. I think the thing is with, uh, with, with Kroenke's ownership, we've actually almost gone completely the opposite way um, to, to kind of what it used to be in terms of the fact that I think one of the biggest mistakes that Arsenal have made in the last 15 years 
is in the late 90s and early 2000s when we were really doing well we kind of sat on our hands while Manchester United were off touring Asia yeah. were off developing their commercial capability it was probably an Arsenal call though because Arsenal was insisting at the time that you went to Austria yeah True, true. But you're right um, in terms of that. In terms of, yeah, the, the kind of executive decisions at the club, I think that we were much too static. And that was when we were winning things as well, when we really could have made some hay over this competition with And Dennis, I think the part, of the part of the reason for that was Manchester United's board had to be accountable to shareholders. They were on the, yeah. the stock market and they had to deliver dividends as yeah. well. Yeah. So for that reason, they actually had a board that was made up of a mixture of football people and business people yeah. and commercial yeah. people. And they, my God, they got it so right in terms of the way they exploited their products. Now, Arsenal were completely focused on the football. Well, and mm. although, again, if I defend them, they were focused on the stadium. Well, no, and no, that came later. It, well, you know, I'm but, talking but the about need... the sort of the last half of the 1990s. That's when United mm. started to sort of gear up. And now the stadium for us came in about 99, the start of the concentration on it. Took a few years and then basically they obviously found the site of the Emirates. But even initially, because David Dean was effectively in charge, we were solely focused on the football side. Which is fair enough on one level and it did obviously bring its rewards. But at the same time, Dean should have realised that actually there's two things going on here at the same time and if he yeah. kept tabs on United a bit closer seeing what they were doing we should have replicated that yeah. now by the time uh, Danny Fisman took control um, we were already lagging behind and, and Keith Oderman was actually brought in as much as anything to, to be a bean counter so that the, the figures worked in terms of when we did have to actually arrange financing for the stadium. So then, obviously, yes. But even at that same time, if we'd had a couple of commercial people on the board, we could still have exploited the Arsenal brand a lot better than we did. And the reason we actually ended up making sure we had to move stadium was because we had to find a way of closing that gap on income mm-hmm. on United. Because they were making so much more commercially all we could come back with is banking money on match days, which we—I don't know if we make more than United, but I think we've come, come damn close. If we oh, I think we do from a match-to-match basis. It, uh, am I correct in saying it's still circa three million pounds for every home match? It's, it's, it's neck and neck with what United yeah. make, right. and it is the great driver of our business model. Okay. So. Well, on, that, on that note, sadly, it, it has to be time to wrap up. Let him have his say. Okay, sorry, I apologise. No, no, I was, I was just going to qualify that point just by saying now we're completely the other way around, I think, because if you look at Cronkier's history, um, he, he is actually very good at the commercial side, and actually his, a lot of his business is media, is Arsenal media, mm. that actually brought him into the club because he saw the TV rights deals coming. That's what he saw coming, and... Mm. He was quite right to see that coming. He was correct. Well. That's what he bought. Yeah. He bought a media company. Exactly. And he's been proven right. And I, you know, the happiest day he's had in owning mm. Arsenal was when mm. Richard Scudamore opened the envelope from BT, yeah. which none of us saw a two-third mm. increase in the domestic right. We knew about the only time I saw Stan Kroenke get animated, and it was when he said to me. Wait till Africa gets satellite broadband, Tim. <laughs> that, that, you know, for, yeah, for, yeah. for potential. Now, he, in a way, he doesn't have to worry about that because Richard Scudamore and his team, who are amazing, they, they do all the selling. 
Right. You know, Arsenal don't sell the media rights. They're all pulled and all given collectively. Mm. They've still got so much growth to go. So much growth to go in Asia, particularly in Africa, and also there's a, it's really starting to move mainstream in the States as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So, and, 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 and American sports, I'll probably offend the listeners here, but oh God, they're dull as hell, aren't they? There's a reason <laughs> why the world watches football so much more authentically. It's going to keep, keep going and keep going, which is why, and I don't know if this is a depressing way to end, <laughs> but I don't think Stan Kroenke will sell. Arsenal coming fifth for ten years in a row is still a lot more valuable proposition for Stan Kroenke mm. because fifth in ten years' time in the Premier League is going to be three times the size of now. Mm. On that note... That does make it almost time to wrap up. But before we do, a few words about the first issue of the Guna this season from our editor, Mr Witcher. Yes, it came out actually for the Emirates Cup weekend uh, and it's still on sale for the Fenerbahce and Spurs home matches because when it came out, obviously there's not a great deal of topical material. So what we did, we kind of focused on a bit of retro stuff such as... uh, uh, matches against Spurs that have happened uh, over the years and that sort of thing. Um, basically, the Guna has gone up in price to £2.50 now. The first price increase for something like 12 years. Um, however, uh, we do need your support out there if we are going to continue. So if you can buy it and uh, give us a hand, we will survive long into the future. So uh, please buy if you're going to uh, the matches or you can buy it online through the Guna website. Thank you, boss. Finally, the usual reminder that if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, our address is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, it's goodbye from Mr. Payton. Goodbye. Mr. Stillman. Good evening. And Kevin. Goodbye. We'll be back in the latter part of September to reflect on what happens between now and then. Please all keep your fingers crossed that we do buy five world-class players. It promises to be an interesting time, to say the least. Until then, this is your host, Dave Udo, saying thank you for listening. La di da di da, la di da di di, all good friends and jolly good company. Way. Well, hey!